It's June 4th, 2020. This is Rook. Many of us are profoundly saddened watching America caught in a desperate crisis of mourning injustice, legitimate protests met with military being called in, cities on fire. Some in the Iranian diaspora have suggested this doesn't look all too dissimilar to what people of Iranian descent have seen in our recent history, in our ancestral home. Well, what if you were someone who can speak from a first-person perspective about what it means to be black in the United States right now and to be of Iranian background and fundamentally identify with our turbulent reality? Our featured guest today can do that, does do that, and injects humor into his messages as well. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Welcome to episode number 15 of Rook. I hope that uh, I hope everybody's doing okay. Strange and difficult and interesting times in the world. Uh, it's our big Thursday show. Everybody is here. Shia, how are you doing? Hello, I'm fine. Thank you. Captain Reza? I'm great. Thank You're you. Great. Okay. And Keon is here. Uh, letters of the week. Hi, Keon. Hi, Gian. How's nice it to going? see you. It's going okay. Uh, you'll be joining me uh, later. We've got lots to get to later in the show, and and some folks who've written us uh, with their thoughts on Iranian identity, feedback on our interviews. Yes. Yes, we have lots of interesting letters today. Okay, we will get to that. I want to get straight to today's guest. Uh, y- you know, it wasn't too long ago. Uh, that talking about prominent Iranian comedians in the diaspora was pretty much limited to Maz Jabrani, Max Amini, with a few notable others. But there's been a new generation of comedians following them that are doing some really unique and interesting work exploring their Iranian or mixed identities in humorous ways. Take a guy named Tehran, who was born in D.C., naturally. If you don't know him already, Tehran Von Qasri is an Iranian-American comedian by way of law school who is getting a lot of attention these days for appearances on TV shows, films, and stand-up performances that have garnered him a huge online following. And his meditations on being half Iranian, half African-American can be both profound and and a great source of his comedy. Most recently, this week, Tehran has been very outspoken about the tragic events taking place in America with the killing of George Floyd, the Trump administration's response, and the calls for justice in the streets across the United States. Right now, Tehran von Castri joins me from Los Angeles today. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. I just want to note that I'm one of the notable others. Thank you so much. So when you put me in the likes of Mazzurbani and Maximini, it's amazing to be there. Also, Gian June, I just want to let you know this was so important to me. I was actually looting and decided to do this show. So just realize right. how you t- important. 
you took you a break. You took a break from looting to do this. Yeah, I mean, and that's not a hard thing to do. Or protesting at the Gucci store, however you want to call it. That's right. the way. Right. Well, I'm. I, I see you haven't lost your sense of humor in this difficult time. First of all, honestly, خیلی ممنون هستم که اومدی امروز تهران جام خیلی من فکر میکنم که واجبه که ما گوش بدیم به شما. I really appreciate you coming on at short notice. I think it's important to hear your your perspective right now, not just from a, a comedic standpoint. So thank you for doing this. Really. نو افتخار میدید لطف دارین که منو دعوت کردین واقعا تشکر میکنم از شما که دارین صداتون رو برای کمک و حمایت استفاده میکنید این خیلی مهمه we need more platforms and more voices and I think there's a confusion because it seems to be that this movement this protest is only for black America it's not only for black America it starts with black America This is a movement and protest against injustice, inequality, and lack of civil rights everywhere in the world. Well, let me, let me, I'm going to take you through this step by step, or you can take me through it step by step as it is. Let me ask you, first of all, uh, and then I want to, I do want to ask some questions about you and your, and your career for those who are just being introduced to you. But three days ago, you posted a message on your Instagram that you, you did in both Farsi and in English. And I'll get to the content of what you said. But first, tell me why you felt compelled to post something addressed to Iranians in Farsi. Well, This actually, both questions you said we would get to who I am as a person later, they actually go hand in hand. Uh, I am half black, half Iranian. That is who I am. And because of who I am, half black, half Iranian, I have a lot of different backgrounds and cultures, religious and otherwise ethnic in my background, Muslim, Zoroastrian, Christian, and Jewish. I am like a bridge. I am a bridge between many different worlds, whether it's Iranian world and the black world, whether it's the diaspora and America, whether it's Muslims and Jews, whether it's the hood and academia. I'm, I am that bridge by definition. And because of that, I, I use my voice to complete that bridge, to connect people to each other. Doing this message in Farsi and English wasn't because I wanted to do it. I needed to do it. I needed to speak my, speak my mind in the two languages that matter the most to me mm. and connect groups of people once again. I noticed that in the Iranian community, there was a lot of confusion about the protests, the movement, the riot, the looting. It's a very scary time. And I want everyone to understand, no one condones the looting. No one. No sane person condones the looting. No sane person condones the rioting. However, a rational person can understand it. You can understand the frustration. You can understand the anger. You can understand that looters are taking advantage of a valid protest and movement. Hmm. which they are you you say in your message people are tired tired of injustice tired of all the forms of talk and peaceful protests that have been tried give us your perspective on that fatigue and the and the point that we are at if you know the history of the united states you know that people have have 
spoken to lawmakers. They have spoken to Congress. They have spoken to one another. There have been community protests and organizations. This is nothing new. Even the hashtag, I can't breathe, is the third time this exact hashtag has been used because of a situation. Hmm. People are tired of injustice and inequality. People are tired. They are fed up. When Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, there was a huge problem with it. This was a man who simply knelt. He was kneeling during the national anthem. Nothing else. It does not get more peaceful than that. But people didn't want to hear it. They dismissed it. They, they said, why are you doing this at this time? That's wrong. You, they dismissed the point. They did not understand what a protest was. When people would stand in the street, people dismissed it. Why are you ruining traffic? Why are you inconveniencing us? Well, it's the same way that racism, inequality, and injustice inconveniences us. They dismissed it. So what happens? Martin Luther King, who I've never been quoted more to in my life hmm. until now, right. specifically said, riots are the voices of the unheard. And that is where we're at. You know, before we go any further, I mean, uh, and, and talk about this almost from an analytical point of view, give me your personal reaction. Uh, tell, if you can, I mean, uh, tell me how you felt as a black man, half African-American, half Iranian, w when you first saw that video of that policeman kneeling on the neck of George Floyd. When I saw the video, the pictures of Officer Chauvin choking the life out of George Floyd by pressing his knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. I was terrified. I was sad. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was helpless. I was human. That's the most human and vulnerable I've ever been. And the idea isn't just George Floyd. George Floyd has become a symbol of all the George Floyds. Trayvon Martin, Oscar Grant, the list goes on. Breonna Taylor. The list goes on. Eric Gardner. And one day, that could be Tehran von Gastri. That's the problem. In Washington, D.C., we had a horrible incident, a murder where Bijan Kaysar, a local, young, amazing person, was, was murdered by the police in a situation in which he was in his car unarmed and the police shot him in the head and in the body. His family still has not received answers. Black America has been telling minorities and other Americans about this for generations, not years, mm -hmm. generations. And it wasn't until it affected the Iranian community itself that people woke up. Because before then, it was always, well, um, well, you need to speak to the police extremely carefully and be extremely polite. And you have to be very careful when you speak to them. It's your fault. But at one point, you go out of your way to say, 
police are not bad, police are good, but bad police are very bad or criminal. Tell me why you wanted to clarify that. Because, because there has become this anti-police sentiment that is not in relation to the protest or the movement. Police officers are amazing people who do an amazingly difficult job. They are not bad people. However, bad police officers are bad people. And, is, and it is the job of good police officers. It is their job. It is their sworn duty to protect us from bad people, from criminals. And that's what we're asking the police to do. Protect us from criminals, even if the criminal looks and dresses like one of you. There is a blue wall of silence that exists where police protect each other. Police are just regular people. They, want, they have a job, and they do their job, and they just want to go home. But bad police, they're not just regular people. They're bullies. They're ty- tyrants. We need to be protected from them, just like any other criminal. Tehran, I've got to say, reading the comments on your social media feed and online in general about you, I mean, there are some who don't agree with you, as you probably know. That's their prerogative. Uh, And I don't want to feed the trolls here. But to those who are saying you are supporting rioters by posting a message like the one you did, what do you say to them? I say that they did not pay attention to my message. And that is why the riots began in the first place. They're not listening to my message. My message is not in support of the riots at all. The only, the only justification that I give for the rioting is would people like yourself or the news media in America and the rest of the world be looking at this situation if it wasn't for the riots? The riots itself, I do not support at all. If people are more upset at the riots than they are at what caused the riots in the first place, then we should all reevaluate. If you think this is anti-police and not anti-police brutality, you should reevaluate. If you think anti-police and anti-police brutality are the same thing, then we have, a, we have an even bigger problem and we should all reevaluate. This is about police brutality. This is about injustice. This is about inequality. This is about a system that's created to oppress minorities in this country purposefully. And it starts, the police is just one way it does this. We see that there are laws, there are profiling and targeting agendas and regulations, which all exist together in a systematic disenfranchisement of black people, brown people, minorities in this country. And we all have to be aware of it, which is the first step in changing it. And when you talk about brown people, um, whether whether Iranians, Iranians, whether they know it or not, exactly. I do mean Iranians. I know everyone thinks we're white. Bob, (laughs) we're white, buddy. Iranians are white. This is what I try and explain to Iranians too, as someone who's maybe not one of the very very white Iranians. Somehow that you know we're we're part of this. Listen, the name of the show is Rook. Reading some of the comments, very few, I should say. 
but it's it's also disheartening in the sense that it's a reminder that uh, Iranians can be racist, Tehran, in this case towards a, another Iranian who happens to be black, you. This cannot be new for you, and yet— Oh, it's not it, new for me. It, it is not new. I'm an Iranian—I'm a black Iranian named Tehran. I am no stranger to racism. I get it from all sides. I—, I there's a lot of there's a lot of racism and prejudice in the Iranian community, and when Iranians deny this, I am shocked. Even the fact that everyone knows the black and Iranian guy is Tehran, you know why? Because there's so few of us. If I was half white, half Iranian, there would not be as much of um, a discrepancy in how many black and Iranians there are. Like if I was half white, half Iranian, no one would even notice. The fact that I'm half black. You're in the position of, 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 of wanting to uh, defend Iranians to those who, say, in America, who stereotype or propagate negative ideas about us. But then you're, you have to feel the sting of Iranians who are just as ignorant sometimes. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's a difficult path to walk. It is a very, it is a very difficult position to be in. I, 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 am, I find myself oftentimes stuck in the middle. I find myself defending, opposing. I find myself, once again, being the bridge, trying to connect people. If we had an open, honest conversation like your show, then people would realize we have much more in common than we have in different. You know, on the other hand, there are many, many who really agree with you. And some who then draw parallels to Iran right now. I've seen more than a few people in the Iranian diaspora this week, some of them friends of mine, posting on social media and they say, hey, we know what an authoritarian state looks like. Be careful, America, because we can see where this is headed. Does it feel like your worlds are somehow colliding when you read stuff like that? Yes, that is the purpose. This is why I say this movement is not just for black America. Forget the politics. I don't talk politics. It's not my place. But I do talk about principles. And principles of justice, equality, civil rights, these are principles. These are not political statements. These are principles. And when this is happening in America, which is supposed to be the leader of the free world, then we realize that this can happen anywhere. This movement. This movement. In Farsi, we have this concept, when you light one candle, when you light one candle, you can now light a second candle right. with that first candle. And it doesn't lose its strength. It doesn't lose its potency. Now you have two candles. And you can light two more candles. Two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight, 16. Next thing you know, there's an entire nation on fire with the flames of ideas, principles of justice, equality, and civil rights. That is what this movement is all about. There's another Persian saying you quote, which is, Kasi ke khabe, mishe bidar kerd. Vali kasi ke khodish mizane bekhab, hich vach bidar ne mishe. A person who's asleep can be woken up, but a person who pretends to be asleep cannot be woken. Tell me about those words. It's in relation to the fact that so many of us prefer comfort and convenience to rights and freedom. It's easier to pretend we're asleep. It's easier to 
to pretend we don't see what is going on. It's easier to pretend there is no racism. It's easier to pretend there is no injustice or inequality because then we don't have to wake up. We don't have to look at ourselves in the mirror and judge how we are complacent in all of this. Accountability will always feel like an attack when a person is not ready to accept responsibility. That is what we see when people feel so attacked by simple concepts. Black lives matter. No one is saying that black lives matter more. No one is saying black lives only matter. Simply the fact that black lives matter. When people feel attacked by that subject, that is the beginning of the problem. Here, we find in the world, in the world we find, there's a, there, anywhere you go, once again, removing the politics, whether it's Iran, whether it's Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Africa, Europe, France, England, there's a lack of equality and justice. We, the people, can fix this all together. We're in it together, whether we all know this or not. Sometimes, as you know, uh, migrant communities um, don't want to get involved because, um, you know, we came here to avoid the trouble (laughs) or or to to somehow escape it. I mean, uh, and so an, an Iranian might say, look... I've been through a revolution, I've been through a war, I've been through atrocities, I've been through a plane shooting down earlier this year. I'm sorry, I can't take this on as well. Um, what would you say to that person? I, would, I completely understand where they're coming from. I completely understand where, where a lot of immigrants are coming from. A lot of immigrants have this conversation with me where they express, well, we came from countries that were more oppressive, more racist, more there was more bigotry there was more tyranny we were able to come to this country and we have done well why can't a black community do the same thing and i completely understand and feel their pain i respect and admire the fact that so many people were able to leave their country with virtually nothing and come to america or whatever country they migrated to, and do so well. I am so proud of that fact. The difference is, black people are here. Immigrants were able to leave disenfranchisement, inequality, injustice. Where can black people go? We're here. We have nowhere to go. This is America. This is, and once again, America is an amazing, it's a great country. Compared to other countries, America, of course, is great. Compared to the idea of America, it fails miserably time and time again. We have nowhere else to go. Do not compare struggle. Comparison is the thief of compassion. Take me back. Take me back. Let's let, let, let's talk a little bit about you. You because you mentioned earlier that you're this eclectic mix of Jewish and Muslim and Christian and Zoroastrian from your grandparents. Uh, you grew up in D.C. with an Iranian dad, a black mom. Given that interesting fusion, what did religion mean to you growing up? Religion to me meant respect, learning respect for all people. My when when I was born, my grandparents, everyone, all of a sudden cared about their culture and their religion but not to diffuse the other 
but to place it by each other's side. So being a person who has possibly one of a very unique perspective, but possibly a very, uh, I've had a lot of different mixes of experiences. I realize how similar people are. For the most part, most people are good people. And I get to see the inner workings of each culture and religion and how they actually interface with one another very well. And by the way, it's counterintuitive because most would think your dad named you Tehran to somehow claim the Iranian side of you, but that's not true, right? That is not true. My mom named me Tehran because she thought it sounded the most black. And I thank her every day. I would not know what to do if I was a bawback. I would just not be okay. My Most Iranians, don't. whenever they hear the name Tehran, they're, they're always shocked. They're like, oh my God, your name is Tehran? That's not a name. What's your real name? My real name is Tehran. And I, I, often, I often have fun with the Iranian accent because it's one of the sweetest, most genuine accents I've ever heard. I never make fun of the Iranian accent or Iranian people. I have fun with them. There's a difference. It comes from a good place. I am so respectful and proud of the fact that a group of people left the country, came to America or Canada or any other uh, place they went to, learned an entirely new language, new set of rules and systems, and were able to integrate and be so successful. It's amazing. It's actually amazing. When a person from Mexico moves to America, sure, it's very difficult, but at least the language is similar. The letters are the same. But from Iran, you came here and learned an entire new, you don't even write the same direction. Right. So I'm always in awe of that. Absolutely. But you know, back to that idea of uh, we are Aryan, we are, we, we are white, you know. Uh, um, you know, I've got. I know this intimately. Even even my beautiful dear parents would say when I'm growing up, "Why do you say you're brown? Why do you go on the air and say you're you're brown? You're white, just like everybody else." And and I was kind of going, I, "I wish I was, but I." I have a big nose and my name is Gian and I have olive skin and I got called a terrorist when I was a kid and that, you know, I can't remove those things. And there's this story that when you were a little kid in kindergarten, your mom used to pick you up each day and one day your dad came to pick you up and they refused to let him take you because with his accent and, and, and I don't know, bushy mustache, I guess, and olive skin, they thought he wasn't your dad and that became a real turning point for you. Tell us about that. It did. I was, and I'll always remember this, I, I, was, I was about four years old, and I went to, uh, my, my father put me in this private school so that I would, of course, be advanced in learning with the hopes that I would one day grow up and become a doctor. So uh, even though I ended up in public school, I, I started off in this private school, and my, my mother used to be the one to pick me up every day after, after school. She would leave work, come pick me up. My mother is um, dark-skinned, black woman. And when I was growing up, being mixed was not as common. Right. One day, my father came to pick me up, and the school administrators and the teachers could not comprehend that this olive, foreign-sounding man with this mustache could be my father. His English isn't so great. Their Farsi was horrible. There was no communicating at the time. 
my father was explaining this to my son, and I remember, and I remember at that early age, I remember feeling confused. I remember feeling what could be the remnants of shame. And then my father did something that every immigrant kid knows. He just bust through the teachers and grabbed his kid. He didn't care. He didn't care about the rules and the, the social norms. He didn't care about anything but the fact that I was his son. And he picked me up in his arms. And I felt so loved in that moment that I started to cry. And even now, I'm actually tearing up just remembering it. He held me so tight. And he was like, this is my son. That's all that mattered to him in that moment. It didn't matter that I was black. It didn't matter uh, that the teachers were white. It didn't matter. Nothing mattered but the fact that he came to pick up his son and I was his son. And I will never forget that moment. And I, in that moment, as a, as a young, as, as a, I wasn't even five. I wasn't, I remember knowing that I would never be ashamed of who I am or who my parents were ever again ever and i never have been and i and i advocate that all the time there's a difference between being proud of your heritage and pride and i'm i'm an advocate for being proud pride pride is ego but proud proud is love it's a beautiful story the way it, it turns out there and you're such an interesting guy as that little kid he wanted to be a philosopher, you say, when you were growing up. It's not, I mean, you know, uh, NBA star, hockey player, astronaut. That's the, these are the average, uh, you know. You wanted to be a philosopher. Uh, is being a comedian a form of satisfying that goal? Being a comedian is that goal. Good comedy makes you laugh, but great comedy makes you think. The people who have the best views or have given the best the best thoughts on social commentary in the modern day are comedians. Whether it's Eddie Murphy or Dave Chappelle, Wanda Sykes, Whitney Cummings, Monster Brani. Even in politics, John Stewart, Trevor Noah, Bill Maher, Stephen Colbert, they are just comedians. These are people who make us think about race, politics, humanity, family, love, more than any other author in history. Tehrani, Iranians are very family-oriented, as we know, and occupation is very important. You went to law school. <laughs> what was the reaction from your dad when you decided to pick up and go to L.A. to, be, to try to be a comedian? You know, uh, actually, I got my master's and went to law school, and after I was finished, my, my father always said something, and I think a lot of Persian parents say something very similar. They say, Get your education first, and then right. do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so, a lot of people always assume that I got the education for my father, and that's not true. I actually got the education because I wanted to. I actually got the education for my mother because I feel as a minority, uh, it is our responsibility to be as educated as possible, especially in countries such as Canada and America, where education is so accessible to all of us. Get your education. When I ask anyone who's older, 
what they wish they had done more. No one ever says, I wish I partied more. I wish I uh, dated more. Everyone says, I wish I learned more. Well, we have, we have the opportunity to learn more. And it doesn't stop at, it doesn't stop at school. It goes on to ourselves. We can all continue to learn. So hopefully people are going into the quarantine, uh, are coming out smarter than when they went in. We can all educate ourselves. So yes, with my father being a comedian was, he, want, he was supportive, even though he didn't understand it. And then I paid for the house and now he understands it. <laughs> success, success is the best explanation of all time. Right, right. You know, it occurs to me, we started this interview talking about a very serious subject matter, and rightfully so. Um, but is it hard as a comedian to not get to always be funny? I mean, it's understandable that you don't want to just make jokes right now. Is that hard for you? When the truth hurts, tell a joke. So the two come hand in hand. Tragedy and comedy are the exact same, exact same scenario, just looked at it from a different perspective. Tragedy is a microscope. It's up close. Comedy is a telescope. It's, it's from far away. And so the two go hand in hand. When I, when I do comedy, most of my comedy is social commentary. There's an element of, I hope, thought provocation. So to me, comedy and tragedy are one. I just give that spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Before I let you go, um, we talked about some of the pushback you get, and, and, and we certainly know that the Iranian diaspora is not a monolith. And I should say, with this show, we, we want to hear all voices. I mean, we want this to really be the water cooler of the diaspora. So I don't want to exclude anybody, and if you disagree with what you're hearing, by all means, let us know, or we'll bring on a guest with a different opinion. But in this moment, Tehran, you have to be aware that there are many people of Iranian descent in your country, Hey, in your city of Los Angeles, uh, that really support a President Donald Trump and MAGA. Um, this might be strange to others of us in the in the diaspora. What, what do you say to those folks when you chat with them? To be honest, I brought this up early. I don't talk politics, but I do talk principle. And to me, this is the American system: right wing, left wing, same bird. We should be more concerned with the fact that for the president of the United States, we only get two choices. If you don't like red, blue, if you don't like blue, red, if you don't like either, there's nothing for you. For, we get 52 choices for Miss America, <laughs> but for the president, there's only two. Hmm. President Trump is not the problem. President Trump is a symptom of the problem. The problem are the people in this country not understanding one another. When Iranians are pro-President Trump, I understand their point of view. I can understand. I don't specifically condone, but I can understand. My only, my only suggestion is a leader, a good leader, is, su is supposed to be a, a person who unites their people, has their best interest at heart, and the common good. 
if you feel President Trump does this, then great. And if you don't, then express why. Don't attack each other. Let's have a conversation, a discussion. That's where I stand when it comes to President Trump. Also, a lot of Iranians don't want to see their relatives, and that's probably why they like the the ban. Because they're like, thank <laughs> goodness Khalid isn't coming to town anymore. Jeez. How Finally. much can we buy this woman? I mean, jeez. <laughs> Finally, we found a way to stop the, the relatives visiting. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's it's good to talk to you. Thank you again for doing this on Shore Notice. I hope we'll we'll do this again and and we'll do it in a in a rosier time. I mean, these are not uh, these are a lot of the issues we're dealing with are issues that are ongoing. But uh, but uh, we'll we'll talk comedy. We'll hear more of your comedy and, and hopefully we'll even do it in person post COVID. Uh, thank you for this, brother. I appreciate you and I appreciate your voice in the community. Thank you so much for having me. That is Tehran Von Gastri. He's a comedian. He joined us from Los Angeles, California today. really really invigorating talking to Tehran I'm back here with Kion now who's come into the studio hi Gian. Hi. together we are Gian and Kion yes <laughs> it almost sounds like a joke um, <laughs> some would say that as they listen so um, uh, you uh, what did you think of Tehran you know I I know him as a comedian so I've never heard him speak so openly about such a difficult topic it's pretty uncommon to hear comics talking about such things so it's good to hear different perspectives and you know as he's half Iranian half African American it's good for the Iranian community to see that as he said um, we have much more in common and this movement in America is not just about the black American community it, it involves anybody that has faced such injustices so that that really speaks to me. And we saw that happen back in 2017, as he mentioned, with Bijan Qaysar, with the officers shooting him in Virginia. Um, so it's it's good. It's good to talk openly about these things. Nicely said. I, I, I actually want to give a, a note to that. The person who helped helped us organize Tehran for today is a woman named Cassie Tajbash. Um, and she's, she's the founder and producer of Comics Without Borders. This is a, an ongoing series of comedy charity benefits uh, since 2000, 2007. I, I just wanted to give her and her series a shout out because the mission of Comics Without Borders is to support non-for-profit organizations, uh, one cause, one charity at a time by spreading laughter, which is what they call the best medicine in the world. So thanks to Cassie and Comics Without Borders for helping us organize Tehran for uh, today. We appreciate that. Okay, I, I have... Uh, um, and thanks again to Tehran. Uh, so much to process from that uh, interview. And by the way, if you have thoughts on it, info at rookmedia.com or post on any of our platforms, YouTube or, or Instagram or uh, et cetera. Reza, you, you seemed pretty captivated during that interview. I truly was. I, you know what's funny? I follow comics religiously and I'm always... Uh, on the um, in search of new up and coming stand Iranian stand up comics, and it, I'd heard of them before, 
I may have seen like his uh, some of his videos, but I never really watched any of his comedy. I, I think it, it probably didn't speak to me at the beginning. But I never heard of any of his interviews. He was so insightful and thoughtful and so positive too. Yeah. Uh, insightful and bon amac. Bon amac. He's super <laughs> bon amac. By the way, his Farsi was incredible. <laughs> better yeah. than mine. Told, yeah, I was going to well, say. That's a, uh, better than yours is a low bar. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> Let's say um, I, listen, I've been promising to play uh, another submission. This is kind of getting lost in our show, so I want to make sure we do this. From uh, So we put this call out uh, three or four weeks ago for musicians and artists uh, to send in their version of our Rook theme. And we've been getting them. We haven't been playing them necessarily. Info at rookmedia.com. We're definitely going to play them, especially the ones we love. And we love this one. So this is... I was really happy when this came in this past week. This is Masa Qasemi. She is, um, I mean, she's one of the best cellists in the world who happens to also be of Iranian background. She's she's currently in L.A. where she's based, and she's played with various symphonies and orchestras of note around the world and a bunch of Iranian stars like uh, Ahmed Pejman and uh, Ooh, wow. uh, Baba Kamini and, yeah, uh, and, and non-Iranian groups and, and, and the Toronto Philharmonic uh um, and uh, she's actually, she's doing something, she's with a, 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 an Armenian um, orchestra right now. I have to try and remember the name. But but uh, I, I wanted to get her, I mean, uh, separately on the show for an interview. And then she sent this. So this is Masa Qasemi, the cellist, doing her version. Do you have it, Chai? Yes, yes. You got it ready? Yeah, okay. Her version of our Rook theme. Go ahead. How about that? Beautiful. Isn't that amazing? That's stunning. Yeah, that's that's Masa Qasemi doing the Rook theme. Um, I, I looked at. I was currently playing with the world famous Armenian ensemble Element, the Element Band. Um, but thank you to Masa for that. Uh, once our website is up, <laughs> stop it. Once we have our website uh, <clears throat> finished, right. we will. We got to post these. We're going to have a section where. Um, we'll have the music, uh, all the different themes, versions of our theme. Uh, and Shia, we should just use this one in, yeah. in, during the shows. I yeah, mean, actually, instead of piano solo that we use sometimes. By the way, we're, Shia, weren't we, we had this idea that during the show you were going to always play music live, and I brought my little keyboard in for you, and it's just sitting there in the booth. I'm what sorry. happened? I was wondering I, why there's this keyboard. <laughs> the keyboard is supposed to be for Shia, the master yeah, musician. Like, I, I will surprise you. Okay, yeah, yeah. you'll surprise We're us. We're waiting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, no more surprises. Let's get to Letters with Keon.
So last week on episode 13, our longest show yet, just over two hours, we had Objis. Objis. Love them. The, the fabulous duo. Yeah, they're great. The multilingual Persian-Swedish fusion world pop and alternative music band founded by Iranian-born artist. What was their name? Melody Safavi and Sephora Safavi. That's right. Really love that episode. The fabulous Melody and Sephora. So on Instagram, we had a Amir Hossein Mirzayan. He wrote, I enjoyed this. I learned new things about my favorite band, words of wisdom, and also things to come. Nice. Nice. Thank you, Amir. So uh, as well on Instagram, we had Haley Imani. She wrote, great singers. That's it. So that's all she wrote? That's all she wrote. You didn't edit a longer letter. I mean, I can if you want. I, you know. No, she, she went to the trouble she was in a rush, something. okay? She was on the run. <laughs> she had to go grocery shopping. Great singers. She, she had her mask on. She wanted them. to just get yeah, get that singers. out there. Great singers. I mean, since it's Instagram, it's it's acceptable. But imagine somebody actually sends an email. Great or like, Oh, that's right. That was on Instagram? Letter. Yeah, it was oh, on okay. Instagram. All right. that's that acceptable. would be hilarious. She capitalized great. So, hey, she has good grammar. Was but there, there was no period, you know? If you okay, can ask right. exclamation. But apparently that's okay on Instagram. You can do what you can. And anything goes on No punctuation. Yeah. Listen, we don't judge, okay? Was there an emoticon? No, no, just great, right. Singers. Right, great singers. Great singers. Right. Anyway. <laughs> it's almost, it almost sounds angry. Great singers. I think I'm just yeah. reading what, it, is it all Is it caps on, like all caps? No, or? just great singers. <laughs> just, so just, just great singers. Just great singers. <laughs> exclamation, par- exclamation point or no? No, no exclamation. No, 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 no punctuation. Just, just that, that is all. All right. Thank you, That's Haley. Nice. All right. <laughs> So on YouTube, we had a Dave Bonab write in. And actually, I should mention, he uh, he was a great contender for the letter of the week. I, I really loved what he wrote in. Dave Bonab. Yes, Dave you, Bonab Dave. wrote saying, thank you, Gian, for the lovely show. Lots of good material to reflect on and digest. I just wanted to add a small comment on why we do not cut that umbilical cord with Iran. Uh, this is because during the interview with Abjiz, we talked about how no matter how how long we've been outside of Iran, some of us grew up entirely in the West. For some sure. have come more recently. We all feel this connection to Iran. Definitely. Why can't we cut that umbilical cord was something we talked about with Sephora and Melody. So what does Dave have to say? Yeah. Uh, so he moves on saying, in the bigger scheme of things and how our blend of nation has developed, we are the nation, the only one in the region as far as my understanding goes, to have lived in the same land for the last 5,000 years. This on its own solidified our roots really deeply in the land, and that is why we never got wiped out despite invasions and conquests. I say this from the humanistic point of view, not pan-Iranism. We have had enough to live on and continue our journey, I guess. And we will. That is exactly how you, Jian, and your co-workers are creating such a meaningful show that touches so many elements of our being Iranian. In my opinion, it is the same drive, if not fascination, that you also carry. Thank you for doing this. Very well written, Dave. Thank, Thank you, you Dave Bonab. Do you agree with that, Shia? That we, we it's because we go back 5,000 years and we are the nation and all that? Actually, same as uh, Ali Azim, actually, we, we had it on the show. I'm not a national, I'm not a fan, big fan of you know, a nation. Right. Thing. And we are all human, but... Uh, yeah. But, but he, I mean, he's talking about, well, I, I mean, he's not necessarily talking about the nation of Iran. He's talking about the people. He's saying we are, the people make up the nation. But um, I guess. Uh, mm. Do you believe in the Shah Nameh? Yes, That's I a, love Shahnameh. It's a dangerous okay. question. Right. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah there was only one answer to that question. That or a slap to your face. I love Shahnameh as I love, you know, Perludes of Bach, you know, and wow, deep. Yeah, for it's. Yeah. I think it is ingrained into us. I mean, growing up, my parents, I, I was born and raised in North America, never lived in Iran, but our parents really ingrained it into us. You know, we have so much history. Look at Cyrus the Great, the first person to ever introduce the um, cylinder of human rights. That, you know, it's ingrained to us to be proud of being Persian, being Iranian. Heritage and so, uh, me and you, Jian, you always refer to yourself as an Iranian Canadian. I do. So uh, I do as well. Neither of us I didn't have ever always. Lived. I didn't when I was a kid, but then I realized that I'm uh, doing a disservice to my own identity by mm-hmm. not mentioning it, and 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 also because it it is such a big part of who we are. I mean, look at Tehran today. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so nice to see that. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. I agree with that. So as well on episode 13, we had Kaveh Madani. He was the uh, scientist, environmentalist, and a Yale professor, and yes. very intelligent guy. He spoke openly about his time um, serving as the, he was the deputy head in the Department of Environment. He had a very turbulent year in Iran, so he was talking to you about that, very insightful. Yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's a guy who left Iran at the age of 23. He's he become this very well-known environmentalist and academic. Uh, and then had this weird opportunity to go back to Iran for a year in 2017 to um, to become the deputy vice president uh, in charge of the environment and kind of uh, depending on where you stand he either did it um, naively uh, or wishfully or treacherously but he went back and and tried to help by joining the government there and was promptly arrested as soon as he got there and led to a strange uh, mm-hmm. a year for him so I know we got a bunch of bail on this. We so did. You, yeah, we okay. had a lot of people write in about this. Uh, one uh, one person on YouTube, Rico Bonyadi, wrote in saying, Iran is experiencing very dark days by the occupying Iran theocratic kleptocrats. My hat's off to Kaveh and his sense of patriotic duty towards the motherland and my gratitude to the one and only Jian for making this happen. Okay. Nice Thank you, Rico. Uh, we had Negin Dusti. She wrote in on YouTube saying, Thank you, Jian. The interview with Kaveh Madani was fantastic. I truly enjoyed his insightful and well-informed comments throughout the interview. The brain drain or migration of academic elites from Iran in the past few decades is a great example that progressive, scientific, and permeable minds cannot tolerate or coexist with rigid, ignorant, and impenetrable minds. She also said, also, Keon, you're such a lovely addition to Rook's team. Didn't <laughs> add that know. in. Oh, I don't know if she I said didn't that. add that I in. She did. That. She Very said nice. it. You can't fire me now. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Negin Dusty. Thank you. So on YouTube, we also had Abe Neymar. He wrote saying, Jean, Abe? Abe? Abe Neymar. Neymar. Is that a Persian name, Abe? Abe, I don't think so. I'm not getting into Abe, this again. Abe, Abe. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. no. Abe. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, Abe. Abraham. Abe Dore in this case. <laughs> in case we have Abe. <laughs> All right. I think his fan. name is cool. Don't you make fun of Abe. Uh, not that you're making fun of Abe. No. So uh, he wrote saying, Jian, you are the most skilled interviewer I've ever listened to. Mm. I hope you find a way to expand your audiences. All Iranian people really need to tune into your show. I admire you dearly. And he goes on and on about how great Jian is. But, you know, we, we don't need to get into that. It's a so whole there's paragraph. more in your stop 
stopping more. because he's it's complimenting just, me. Listen, we have limited time <laughs> here. That was my favorite letter so far. Oh <laughs> All right, thank Moving you, on. thank you, Abe. She got a small compliment <laughs> on the previous comment, and she read the entire. That's right. That's right. It was upper uppercase. Thank you, uh, Abe Naomi. By the way. Um, in terms of the small audiences, we're very happy right now. We, we 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 started the show only a few weeks ago, and and we really haven't promoted it. We just had this idea of let's uh, let people discover it, and so it's slowly been let people out there. Organic. Yeah, yeah. And the subscribers have been growing, and we've been uh, so. Um, thank you for that, though, uh, for for saying all that, and and hopefully that uh, is something that people believe that mm-hmm. this should grow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as well on episode 14 this week, we had Ali Azimi. He's the Persian alternative rock recording artist. And uh, he spoke really openly about the challenges of being an Iranian performer in today's world. He did. And it was really eye-opening for me personally. I I mean, I got got a view into the artist's world. You always assume that, um, you know, these artists, because they have music videos, because they have concerts around the world there's this assumption that they're successful so you think that millions of clicks Mm -hmm. on a video means that this guy must be a rock star and in the meantime he was talking about living quite modestly like Hamid Nikpay did as well so what do you got there so on YouTube we had a Kaveh Hashemi he wrote great interview yet again very revealing of the actual behind the scenes of the Iranian music business Kaveh Hashemi I if it's probably that's probably Kaveh Hashemi is a, a rock musician, an alternative rock musician. Um, speaking of Iranian rock in uh, in Montreal, oh, wow. Montreal, Canada, okay. and he's um, he's a really thoughtful guy. That's nice that he wrote in yeah, about really Ali Azimi. Mm-hmm. So, last but not least, we have the letter of the ah. week. Mm-hmm. So on YouTube, uh, we had a Mina Raymond. She wrote on episode 13. She wrote... Mina Raymond. Mina Raymond from New York. From yes. New York. Yeah. Okay. She wrote, thank you, Gian, and the entire team of Rook Media for the truly fantastic interview with Kaveh Madani. I have been listening to every episode of your program religiously and have enjoyed every one of them. But I have to say, Kaveh Madani's interview has been by far the most enlightening, balanced, intelligent, and meaningful of them all. As an environmentalist myself, however self-proclaimed, I have been paying close attention to the arguments made by advocates and experts, and I have often found that much of the intricates of the cause and ways of its achievement are simply, and at times conveniently, removed from the dialogue or dismissed. At times, even with an attitude that disregards the geoeconomic conditions and concerns of real people, conditions that are necessary for the most basic human livelihood and survival. Kaveh Madani's interview was one of the rare instances of an advocate environmentalist of the West acknowledging that and many other fine, albeit important, intricacies of environmentalism. And of course, the interview was conducted fantastically. All the credit to Gion. Keep up the good work and keep them coming. All the credit to the Rook team who helped uh, put these uh, interviews together and helps me to get the research and all that. So Mina from New York. Mm-hmm. Mina Raymond from New York. Thank you. Thank that. you. That's the letter of the week. Thank you so much, Kian John. Thank for you, this. Jean. Thank you, uh, Groovy Shia, Captain Reza. Uh, what do we got at the end here? That's it. That's what I was hoping it was. This is full time for Rook today. Thank you to uh, Keon Reza, 
Shia, the entire amazing little team who make this thing happen. Thanks to those of you who have been supporting and spreading the word on Rook. Thanks to Tehran for the interview today. I want to go in on a song from 1973, Sepi Dossia by Dariush, Dariush Ekbali, uh, lyrics by Turaj Negahban. So listen to the chorus of this song. You are white, I'm black, and tired and lost my way. You are safe all over the world. I have no shelter in the world. Poignant words from Dariush back in 1973. See you guys on the next episode on Monday. Mizun Bashin.
شوق بودم